Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's that time again. It's 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday morning, October 27th, 2014, and that can only mean one thing. It's time for the Parenting Your Challenging Child radio program. Um, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you, as always, live from the offices of Lives in the Balance in Portland, Maine, and... As always, joined by my co-host, Susie. How are you, Susie? Good. Thanks, Dr. Green. How are you? I am um, trying to recover from a rather intense two weeks of travel. I'm not complaining because lots of different people got to hear about collaborative and proactive solutions over the last two weeks, and that is always a good thing and never something that I would complain about. Just a little bit of too much time on airplanes over the last two weeks. I haven't stopped to tally the amount of time, but um, I don't know. It could be in excess of 50 hours over the last two weeks just spent on airplanes. Um, Once again, no complaints. Um, But here we go again, another program, and I just want to make sure people know that we will not be on the air next Monday um, because I will be uh, in Brooklyn doing an advanced training, but we will be on the following Monday. So our schedule is a little bit choppy here in the fall, but I think that's the last little bit of chop remaining in our schedule. Um, but, as you always remind me to do, I'm just trying to be more independent about this, the call-in number is 347-994-2981, and um, this is a good day to call in, um, but since no one has called in yet, I thought I might start with an email. What do you think? Sounds great. Um, this first one is actually a thank you, which... Um, are always fun to start with. Um, Dear Dr. Green, I'm the mother of a seven-year-old little girl with some issues. Um, I'm from Finland. That's kind of cool. And the Mm -hmm. Family Center psychologist recommended your book, The Explosive Child. And now for the first time ever, I feel I understand my daughter's problems. I just want to say thank you. We still have problems, but I don't feel desperate or like a failure as a parent anymore. Now I'm looking toward my child's future with hope and calmness. I'm also now reading Lost at School and trying to sort out how to get the teacher to understand the CPS approach, too. Once again, thank you. I wish everything good for you. And to this mom, we wish everything good for you, too. Now, Susie, you can probably comment 
on feeling like a failure as a parent when you have a behaviorally challenging kid. And the feelings of desperation that one would have, I know how I get, my two kids, most people know this, aren't especially behaviorally challenging. So my usual time of freaking out is when they are sick and I don't know what's the matter with them. They have a fever and I'm, of course, worried that it's, you know, the worst thing in the world. Then, of Mm -hmm. course, they recover. Um, But with behaviorally challenging kids, often, you know, if I take one of my kids to the doctor and I say they have a fever, the doctor says, well, this is going around and it lasts about three days. And, um, you can choose to give fever reducers if you want to, but um, if you choose, you know, if your kid's uncomfortable, you can, you know, give the fever reducer at night. But the truth is, the fever is probably a good thing because it's your body's way of fighting things off, and they're very calm about it, and they know what's going around. When it's a behaviorally challenging kid, first of all, you could go to ten different mental health professionals and get ten completely different opinions. So that is both confusing and frustrating. Some of the people who you go see when you're a parent and you're trying to find out what's going on are actually going to make it sound like it's make you feel like it's your fault. But through all of those different mental health professionals, frequently parents end up really not knowing what's going on with their kid. And therefore, the fever doesn't go away after three days. And that's a much more difficult situation. What are your thoughts about that, having gone through it? Um, well, to start with, the um, mental health professional that we saw locally um, was uh, adamant that the reason my child was acting up and misbehaving was because I was an ineffective parent and... Um, not teaching him who's the boss who's the boss um, it's a terrible, terrible feeling that you're trying your best, and things just aren't going very well, not only between you and your child, but it has um repercussions with the rest of your family members. I think that's the beauty of the model is that the understanding that you achieve by taking this approach by doing by by having a plan b conversation and really understanding what's getting in the child's way and having the right lenses on so that you see the child is lacking skills, it's not motivation or it's not you teaching him who's the boss, Um, that's what really helped um, improve things with our family. And CPS took the reactivity, the emotional reactivity out of the mix, and we learned to solve problems together proactively here's another Um, hello 
I am writing from Madrid, Spain. This is sort of a, um, this is International Day on Parenting Your Challenging Child. I am in my final year of pharmacy, and I'm doing my final project on ADHD, so this issue is very close to me because I have a relative who has it. My question is about what happens to adults who still suffer these explosions. I, um, what happens when these children grow up? So um, my bet is that you can comment on that. My answer is, because you have a few grown-up ones, but um, or kind of grown-up ones, my answer to that is it depends. Um, I um, would be very concerned about an adult who is still exploding, Um depends a little bit on what they do when they explode in terms of whether that's going to get them into significant hot water, for example, with the law, as it does with some people. Um, But my answer is it depends, uh, mostly because I'm referring there to kids. I think that a lot of what we think about kids who explode and a lot of what we do to them actually has the potential to make things worse. And of course, If you make things worse, I'm worried about the long-term outcome. I'm much more optimistic about the long-term outcome if we are in the business of making things better. And I know that sounds like a very obvious answer, and I wish um, helping them was more obvious to many people. It's just that a lot of the time we do things that make things worse. Um, but I'm betting you would be worried about your explosive one if your explosive one was still explosive now that he is an early adult. Um, but I'm sure you also worried about what he was going to turn out like, and a lot of parents do. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just I was also going to add that collaborative and proactive solutions provided me with a logical framework to think things through solving problems, and indirectly taught me the skills that I was lagging behind in so that I could be the kind of parent that I wanted to be. Um, You know, we've said many times that chronological age doesn't equal developmental age, and um, it's never too late to learn those skills in flexibility, adaptability, problem-solving, and frustration tolerance. Do you remember, um, I I can't imagine that you didn't, but can you remember pondering your child's, your explosive child's future? I think it's when people are dealing with a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 6-year-old who's losing it a lot, it's natural to project that into the future. And Sometimes when we project it into the future, we lose sight of the fact that we do still have time. Um, When we're projecting it into the future, that often adds a sense of urgency that doesn't necessarily work out well for us because we feel that we have to really change this immediately. And one thing I'll say about the CPS model, while the lenses of the model can lead to dramatic change quickly. Plan B is not quick. Now, it's quicker than making it worse, 
But in terms of getting through the different problems that are causing challenging episodes, um, it's going to take a while. But if we're thinking about what the kid's going to look like when he's 21, when he's eight years old, we're going to feel like we don't have much time. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I remember vividly um, when my son was around the age that you just described, um, truly convinced that he was going to be living in some large city, uh, homeless and talking to himself, uh, just not a uh, responsible contributing member of society. Um, that was frightening. Um, our therapist wisely reminded us to, um, you know, stay focused in the present and do what we could do using Plan B in the present. You know, you keep an eye on the future, but you uh, stay focused in the present. And I just wanted to also add that collaborative and proactive solutions is a process. And like you said, um, it takes time, but it takes a whole lot less time than punishment and discipline take. Shall we take another? Sure. Here's an interesting one. Not that they all aren't. Mm -hmm. Hi, Dr. Green. I have a challenging daughter, age 8, who exhibits many challenging behaviors. Our family life is unbearable. I have identified some specific unsolved problems. Uh, jealous of sibling attention. Uh, difficulty having guests over our house. Um, and difficulty keeping a calm body. How do I actually solve this? What is a solution that is durable? What does it look like? What options can I suggest in the Plan B process? Now, I'm going to go back to that, but um, here's the rest of it. Also, because there's two parts, is there any consequence for the harm she does to others, hitting and being disrespectful, for example? Is she responsible or accountable to make amends? Does she learn anything from writing an apology? After a tantrum, I have a hard time reinstating a privilege until some effort is taken on making an apology. Of course, she is unrepentant and blames other for her behavior. Thank you. So this, I um, think, is um, has a lot to it. Um, let me take on this one first. Um, the first thing I'm noticing is that the unsolved problems need some work in wording. So I want to direct this mom to the guided tour, the walking tour, in the parent section of the lives and the parents and families section of the Lives in the Balance website. Because it's split up into three parts, and the second segment is called Identifying Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems. And there's a 45-minute audio program in there that provides very nice instruction on how to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems using the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems instrument, which is also on the Lives in the Balance website. Um, 
because I think what we're looking for in unsolved problems are these specific expectations her daughter is having difficulty meeting. And right now, we have we don't have that. We have jealous of sibling attention. Um, we have now the second one is difficulty having guests over to the house. That's the closest to come to the mark. And difficulty keeping a calm body, that's actually referring to um, the fact that this kid is quickly losing control, which it says in this email. Um, uh, But we don't know the expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting or the situations in which she's losing control. So we need to put a lot more work into um, writing down what expectations the daughter is having difficulty meeting. It's not just the opposite of the challenging behavior that she's exhibiting. It's the situations or the conditions in which that's occurring. It's the expectations that the child is having difficulty meeting that's causing those behaviors. And so um, we need some help on that. So it's hard to say what a durable solution would look like until we get the unsolved problems down pat. And, of course, as always, um, Mom, you are invited to call into the program, and I'm going to give that number again. It's uh, 347-994-2981 because we can probably help you, as we have with some other moms, to write in your unsolved problems and walk you through it. So now the second part. Um is there any consequence for the harm she does to others? Um, as most folks know, I'm not big on adult-imposed consequences. First of all, they can make things worse by um, inflaming the child even further. So if you're going to take a chance on inflaming the child further, you'd have to feel that an adult-imposed consequence was actually going to do you some good. Otherwise, mm, it wouldn't be worth the uh, inflaming. Um, But what I find is that kids already know how we want them to behave, and I find that they also already know how we don't want them to behave. So we don't need an adult-imposed consequence to teach them how we do and don't want them to behave because... They already know how we do and don't want them to behave. So there's really only one other reason that we would think that an adult-imposed consequence might be useful, and that is to give the child the incentive um, to behave the way we want them to. But because in this model we believe that kids do well if they can and that doing well is preferable, We operate on the belief that this eight-year-old daughter, who is making life unbearable, is already motivated to behave in the ways that we want her to and to try to avoid behaving in the ways that we don't want her to. But so long as the problems that are causing her challenging behavior remain unsolved, there's an excellent chance she's going to keep behaving that way because this isn't about motivation. This is about the problems that are causing her to behave that way. If the problems are unsolved, she's going to keep behaving that way, and the consequences 
aren't going to make much difference at all because kids do well if they can, because doing well is preferable, and because she already knows how we do and don't want her to behave. Now, am I allergic to having kids make amends for the damage caused? No, I'm not allergic to it. I like it better than adult-imposed consequences because at least we are not, generally speaking, inflaming the kid further. But will a, um, an apology or making amends solve the problems that are setting in motion, the behaviors that are causing the kid to have to make amends? No. So I'm not allergic to making amends. At least they don't, generally speaking, make things worse. But making amends is not a substitute for solving problems. But here's what I also find. Then I'm going to ask you to weigh in, Susie, about your use of consequences for your behaviorally challenging child and what it did. Um, if we find that all we're doing is making amends, problems aren't getting solved and we're just making amends a lot. But if we're finding that we're solving problems, then we're also finding that the need for making amends is gone because the problems are now solved and the behaviors that the child was exhibiting in response to those problems have subsided. Susie, what was your experience in... Um, using adult-imposed consequences. And I, I think of it as kind of a phase all parents of behaviorally challenging kids tend to go through because, number one, it's the conventional recommendation out there, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. books that people could buy that tell them to do it, and a lot of practitioners will still tell people to do it. Did, did I, My recollection is that you all went through that phase. Um, did you? And if so, what was your experience with it? We did go through that phase. We were advised by our therapist to um, stand firm and, um, you know, uh, uh, give our child a time out for when his behavior was maladaptive. Um, And it was just a nightmare, especially as he, as our um, son got older and grew um, to physically restrain him and make him stay in his room became impossible. And that's the problem with plan A or the adult imposing his will over the child. It's rarely a productive approach, and especially with challenging children can make things worse. Um, You know, most of the time it's just P for failure because it never addresses the child's lagging skills or unsolved problems. Um, The other thing I wanted to add was to make sure that you've got the right lenses on, that this is a developmental delay. It's like a reading disability, and it needs to be addressed as such, Um, you mentioned kids do well if they can. The philosophy behind um, collaborative and proactive solutions. This is not the kid's idea of a good time, um, and certainly more information is needed in order to understand what's getting in the kid's way and then be responsive to it. Isn't it amazing that there are so many people out there? practitioners, 
who still view these challenging episodes as the kid's idea of a good time. Yes. Um, yes. That he's uh, doing this to um, get you to give in. Um, it's a very interesting notion. Um, and that there's something the matter with a kid wanting what he wants. What I've been talking about in my workshops a lot lately is that isn't it a shame that we spend the first 18 years of a kid's life often teaching kids that what he wants is not okay. It's what we want that's really going to carry the day. And, of course, when what he wants and what we want clash with each other, that's when challenging episodes occur. But what a shame we spend those first 18 years teaching the kid that, no, it's not what you want, it's what I want. But then when the kid gets upset about that, we believe that what the kid is doing is coercing us into capitulating to his wishes, when in fact the kid is simply communicating to us that us wanting what we want and him wanting what he wants and having what we want win out um, really doesn't work for him. And what an amazing thing we find out when we start working with the kid rather than imposing our will on him, that he's willing to work with us and he's willing to take our concerns into account and he's willing to work on mutually satisfactory solutions on, under only one condition, that we are willing to do the same. And then all of a sudden, what he wants is actually not such a terrible thing. And what we want and what he wants doesn't have to cause conflict. And it's at that point that we come to recognize this kid wasn't coercing us into giving in all along. Very interesting it, thing. Yeah, it's a it's a plan B and collaborative and proactive solutions is a different way of communicating with your child. And once we discard conventional wisdom and rethink the children, are we able to repair relationships and help? Susie, we do have a caller, and of course taller callers take priority on this program, so let's have our caller from four, area code 413. Join us, um, caller. You're now on the line. How are you today? I'm fine. Hi, Dr. Green. Um, I called in last Monday. And um, just wanted to um, tell you what I learned over the past week. <laughs> Please, um, we are we are. This is always fascinating. Tell us what you learned. <laughs> so, I just to remind you, I have that ten-year-old daughter who has a lot of difficulty with frustration tolerance and flexibility, high anxiety. She's a perfectionist, very, very, very sensitive and private. And I was mentioning that I was having trouble even approaching plan B because she never wants to talk about anything and reacts, you know, aggressively when I even bring up the subject. So we had decided, the three of us, you and I and Susie, <laughs> to um, try doing a plan B around talking. Yes. And so um, the information that I got from her was she said that talking about her feelings gives her a headache, <laughs> and that the only way she can get rid of her headache is to yell. So I thought that was 
interesting information. <laughs> and she said all of that while writhing around on the floor and kicking her legs and banging her arms. And um, so I let it stand at that for that little session of talking because I thought I can see how hard it is for her. And that the next few days, actually, she seemed a lot more um, on our side. Or, you know, we all seem to be on the same side. So I think it really helped her realize that we are there for her. And while I haven't figured out how to, you know, navigate that further at the moment, I mm-hmm. thought it was valuable. I think it is very valuable. Now you got me intrigued. I'm sure Susie yes. is too. Um, I got a quick question. Did the writhing on the floor, was that a response to you asking the question, or was she already writhing on the floor when you raised the topic of talking? Yeah, that's her response to raising any topic that sounds like talking about your feelings. Got it. She collapses onto the floor and whines and writhes around. (laughs) Interesting. So, um, yeah, she gets a headache. And screaming is the way to get rid of her headache. That's an interesting approach to pain relief, I must say. But um, Fascinating. Right, but we're going to roll with it. Um, now, here's the question. The interesting thing is this. One thing I'm noticing, we actually don't want her to talk about her feelings, believe it or not. Um, feelings, while, while it's fine to talk with a kid about her feelings, we're actually interested in her concern or perspective, or point of view on a specific unsolved problem. So one question that I have is whether we would potentially make greater headway by leaving the word feelings out Mm -hmm. and use words like... um, and I'm I'm got to theorize here because and uh, you know theorizing is not ideal in this model just because we adults are so often wrong in our theories. But um, I'm wondering a few things. First of all, feelings tends to be a very broad thing, and I'm wondering, and and we can do this on this program. This is not what I'm going to recommend that you do next, but um, it's interesting to think about. Feelings is very broad, and a lot of kids don't do well with very broad. And very broad just sends them over the edge. First of all, they may not have the vocabulary to talk about their feelings. Secondly, they may not know how they feel. Um, But I find that when we are asking a kid about a specific unsolved problem, difficulty completing the um, word problems on the math homework, Now we're not actually asking her about her feelings. We're asking her what's difficult about that. Uh And that can make things much more specific with a kid and can make things easier for a kid who um, doesn't do so well with broad, abstract things like feelings. So good news, we actually don't want her to talk about her feelings. We want to hear about what's getting in her way or what's hard for her on specific unsolved problems. 
But here's what I'm wondering. It feels to me like the next question to ask her is, well, well, first of all, I wonder if we need to make it clear to her in some way that it's not her feelings that we are actually interested in. And then find a way and involve her in the discussion. How can we communicate about things, not feelings, in a way that doesn't give you a headache? Because what I would say about what we now know is, first of all, it's great that you had a good few days. You you don't want to rely on it because um, no problems have been solved yet. And I start feeling like progress is reliable mostly when I feel that problems have been solved. Uh-huh. So, But I I like what you've done, and I like that she gave you a little bit of information. I guess my two questions now are, how do we help her know that it's actually not her feelings that we're interested in talking with her about, and maybe an example of something we would like to talk to her about that's not her feelings and pick something that we think could be the easiest thing in the world for her to talk about, and then inquire with her about what the best way to for her to provide that information might be. Because one other possibility is that she's one of those kids for whom verbal give and take on these things is not going to be her preferred modality. And there are other ways for her to communicate with us besides that. So just one example that I'll give, and actually I'll give a few. There are some parents and kids, and I know this is going to sound horrible to some people, but it doesn't sound horrible to me if it's a way for a kid to provide us with information that they're having difficulty providing in words. Some parents and kids text each other, sitting right there or sitting in a different room, um, they text each other. And that's how parents gather information. Some parents and other caregivers use thumb up, thumb down, thumb in the middle, and simply make a statement to the kid, and all the kid has to do is endorse it or deny it or say that it's somewhere in the middle. So they don't have to talk. They just have to do thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumb in the middle. And some kids, I ask them to do a rating, uh, one through five, Five means what I just said is really true, four pretty true, three sort of true, two not really true, and one not true at all. And then all they got to do is hold up a finger in response to a particular statement. And this is a really, these are really nice ways, but certainly not the only possibilities to make it way easier for kids who have difficulty communicating in words. Not And some some of these kids, by the way, don't have difficulty communicating in words in general. They just have difficulty communicating words about problems that they're having. So I've just, I've just loaded you up with a lot. What do you think of all that? <laughs> um, I think it helps me every Monday listen to reset my own approach and my own brain on how to work with her. Um, and I think I think the rating might work for her. Um, she she would much prefer to be nonverbal about these things. Okay. And I'm going to go back to my list of unsolved problems and find the easiest one 
not the one that's causing us the most strife at the moment, and see if I can work through that with her. Good. And here's one other suggestion. Make it fun. Make it a survey. Uh-huh. In other words, how old is she again? Ten. She can read. She can read? Yep. She can read. Write the unsolved problem out on a survey. You know, you can be as creative about this as you want to be. And give her five, three or four or five statements about the unsolved problem. And ask her to either check off or rate them for how true they are. Okay. And then um, have her give it back to you. Um, and let's see what you get. Mm-hmm. And maybe, just maybe, and of course we're not on next Monday, so you may have to wait two weeks before you can check in with us again, but you should absolutely feel free to do so. Um, maybe in the next two weeks, after she checks the items off that she thinks are true, or puts a number next to them, one through five, or, quite frankly, she could crumple up the piece of paper. So, you know, we're, we're sort of dying to know how she responds to this. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in the next two weeks you feel that it's not so terrible to ask her about it and say, that's interesting. Um, so that's the one that's most true. Is that something, and I don't want to talk to you about your feelings, but is that something you could tell me more about, or would you like another survey Okay. to flesh it out further. And here's the deal. Do I think you're going to be doing this, communicating with your daughter in this way for the rest of her life? No. But you are in get-the-ball-rolling mode. And when you're in get-the-ball-rolling mode, and, and you know what, there's people who think more traditionally who are listening to this and are who are thinking, you've got to be kidding me. No, I couldn't be more serious. You need information from your daughter. She's having a hard time giving it to you. When you ask for information that you really badly need from her, and of course you do need to ask for the right information, not not feelings, but what's getting in her way, um, mm-hmm. it's very hard for her to give it to you, though we'll find out if asking her about what's getting in her way instead of feelings helps helps her out. And if we are creative about how to do it, I couldn't be more serious because of all the things that are on the top of your list in terms of helping your daughter, helping helping getting information from her about what's getting in the way is at the top of your list. And in the same way, I know I'm going on here, but in the same way that she seemed to respond to your curiosity, I think she's going to respond well to your curiosity again unless we have now picked a way that isn't working for her in which case we'll have to go back to the drawing board. But I think there is no downside whatsoever to trying to see if there's a way for your daughter to communicate with you about things that are getting in her way uh, in a way that works more easily for her. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I like it. Susie, anything you want to weigh in on here? Yeah, I'd love to just add that I think – the mom is very brave to call in and to try this. I wanted to say that in the beginning of getting 
the ball rolling with Plan B. It's like you're trudging through mud, but you're doing something with your child, not to her. And um, children are very responsive to that. Um, And lastly, just if you can to make an appointment with your child uh, to to talk and have a plan B conversation, um, you know, and 15 minutes a day of working on a problem. Um, I'm not sure if that's realistic with your daughter at this point, but um, just a little bit every day goes a long way to uh, indirectly teaching those skills that they're lagging behind in and solving problems. Mm-hmm. Mom, please call us back in two weeks and let us know what happens. All right. Thank you very much. You've got us very curious, and good luck with it. We'll see how it goes, eh? Okay. Take Bye. care. It's an interesting one, eh? I'm glad that Mom called us back. Um, yes, Absolutely. And um, let's try one more email here while we are at it. Um, And here it is. My 10-year-old daughter is 100% successful out in the world and about 50% successful at home. During the unsuccessful 50%, she is angry and aggressive. She is anxious, a perfectionist, sensitive beyond my wildest imaginings very self-conscious, and her glass is not even half full. Things have improved using Plan B, but depending on her stress levels, she is resistant almost immediately to working through the tough spots. What are your thoughts about neurofeedback for these challenges as a supplement to Plan B? She won't go near talk therapy but it, because it would take the perfectionist admitting the need for help. Thanks for all you do. Two exclamation points. You're very welcome, and now let's see if we can help you out a little bit here. First of all, you know some good things about your daughter already, the perfectionism, the anxiety, the sensitive beyond your wildest imaginings, the self-conscious. Those are good things to know about one's child. I don't know if neurofeedback will help with that. I guess you'll find out. Um, there There are kids who are helped by neurofeedback, and there's people who've spent a meaningful amount of money on neurofeedback and didn't feel like they had much to show for it at all. Um, I would basically call it a no-harm-done intervention. There are lots of interventions out there that can do harm. I don't think of neurofeedback as one that does harm. The only potential harm is that if it doesn't really accomplish much, sometimes kids and parents Uh, start to lose faith that anything is going to do much. Um, That's what happens when people access lots and lots of different treatments and none of them do much for them. Um, But it's generally speaking a no-harm-done intervention, and so no harm done if you try it, except that it might not work, and that could be discouraging. Um, The interesting thing is this. I don't have enough detail in this email 
to have a great sense about what's hard for her when you're trying to do plan B with her. Saying that it's hard to work through the tough spots, but there's not enough detail for us to really know what those tough spots are. And here's the only other thing I'll say about neurofeedback. Um, Neurofeedback doesn't solve problems. Plan B solves problems. So if neurofeedback is going to help, it's going to be that it helps her hang in there for plan B better. And I don't know if it'll do that because I don't know enough about what's hard about plan B or what you're doing with it to know about what a tough spot is. So a little bit, feel free to call in, feel free to write in again. Um, Once again, we're not on the air next week, but we are on the air the following week because it sure would be nice to get more detail about what a tough spot is, and um, we might be able to help you better with it that way. Susie, any real quick last-second thoughts on that one? Uh, Just that we needed more understanding to view this as a developmental delay um, and lagging skills and demands for those skills, and to... uh, use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. On that note, we are going to call it a day. Back next week, Susie, as always, thank you very much. Thank you. And um, talk soon. Take care, all. Take care. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.